I'm Dr. Terry Fisher, a physician and voice technology futurist. Voice First Technology is rapidly becoming the operating system of our lives, and it will completely revolutionize the way we experience healthcare. Let's talk voice. Voice First Health. The future of health is voice. Hey there, and welcome to episode 20 of Voice First Health. So pleased to have you along with me for this episode. Boy, these episodes are have been so much fun for me to produce, and it just seems like every week I'm meeting more and more interesting people that are really making ways in the voice first and health spaces. Today I've got a special guest, Jim Schwabel. He is the CEO of a company called Neuralex, and they are doing some incredible work in the area of voice modeling. So what does that mean? Well, Jim is going to be able to explain this much more effectively than I can, but essentially they're looking at voice signals and how these can be correlated with various types of illnesses and diseases. In particular, uh, Jim, as you'll hear, has uh, some family experience with mental health, and he was very interested in determining how patterns in voice could potentially help clinicians in diagnosing mental illness. So this is really, really incredible. He also talks about a brand new project that he and his team are going to spearhead starting very soon, starting in the new year, in fact. And I think this is going to be a huge deal. And I'm really, really excited about where they're going with this. So uh, let me get right to the interview without keeping you waiting any longer. Here is Jim Schwabel. Hey there, Jim. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Terry. Great to be here. Um, really glad to share our work with, with the community. Great, great. Well, let's let's start off and learn a little bit about you. I, I the, the way I had found you was um, through a conference that was being held not too long ago, and uh, you were featured as, uh, as as a company that's doing some really, really incredible things in the voice first space. So maybe we can start off by just learning a little bit about you, your background, and then we can get into what you're doing. Sure, sure. Happy to share it. So uh, I'm a bioengineer by training, so I, I attended Georgia Tech, um, and uh, right out of school, I actually started a venture fund focused in neuroscience. So uh, I got really into investing in early stage technologies. Um, and uh, and we found that a lot of our fastest growing companies were in the area of machine learning and, and security. Uh, so we've actually invested more in, into that space afterwards and formed a satellite fund called CyberLaunch uh, in, in that area. And uh, I was the lead partner there for vetting a lot of the machine learning uh, companies. We've added over 400 companies over the span of two years, invest in 11 uh, in, in the areas of machine learning and, and security. And so really had a deep background in investing. Uh, but all the while, I, I've always had a deep uh, passion uh, and interest in the area of, of mental health. Um, this kind of goes back to my family. Um, my, my brother had a psychotic episode halfway through my experience in college. Oh, wow. And um, and so it was very deeply personal. And mm -hmm. so I was always curious, uh, the cause of it, you know, the imperfections of the medical system and how we as a community kind of kind of come together to kind of, uh, I guess, improve the, the process of diagnosing psychosis. Mm -hmm. um, in his particular situation, he actually visited the primary care doctor 11 times over the span of uh, around three to five years. And he complained of the same symptoms, things like unclear thoughts, headaches, really vague symptoms that the medical system often misses. Mm -hmm. um, he actually visited uh, a, a psychiatrist multiple times, different psychiatrists, and he was misdiagnosed with anxiety disorders and depression. 
um, uh, all leading up to a psychotic episode while I was in college, a uh, very severe episode. He's kind of been in and out of the hospitals ever since. So oh, wow. really motivating factor for me. And, and I was always curious, could you uh, model data of some sort um, that he had, uh, you know, been on the Internet, on Facebook. Uh, he had been on messaging me on my phone in, in various ways. Um, what really caught my attention is a lot of his messages and his voicemails he left on my phone were more disordered uh, leading up to his first episode of psychosis. Uh, mm -hmm. He started speaking in new words. Um, one of the symptoms leading up to, to, to uh, a psychotic episode is something called word salad in, in, uh -huh. in psychiatry. So uh, we actually mo I actually modeled um, a lot of his early voicemails, um, and it looked like there are patterns um, and anomalies in the syntax in, in, in particular words. So I was always curious, could you, could you use voicemail data and specifically uh, voice data to uh, detect psychiatric abnormalities, in particular or psychosis? So uh, fast forward about, uh, I guess, three years ago, uh, crazy to think of that, um, there's a paper published by Guillermo Kecci, uh and, and colleagues at a Columbia University and IBM's research arm okay. um, that showed uh, in a high-risk group for psychosis, you could predict with very high accuracy, just with a voice sample, similar to my brother's voicemail, um, who would or would not develop a psychotic episode with very high accuracy uh, it was like it was 100 percent accurate in 35 patients and followed on with 100 patients, and uh, it was about 85 percent accurate ish. Uh, where, where with the models um, using very similar techniques as, as I was modeling my brother, so it got really caught my wow. attention. At that point, there's a lot of momentum in the field. There are a lot of other publications and other diseases like depression and and, uh, and Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's that shows their signal in the voice for these conditions in various ways. Um, so I actually spun off a company from my uh, machine learning venture fund focused purely in the area of, of vocal biomarkers and vocal diagnostics. With the vision, it, it, one day you go to the doctor, uh, in particular a primary care doctor, and instead of giving a blood sample, in the case of my brother, he had, he had probably 12 blood samples, um, you'd give a voice sample. And, and just from a voice file, like describe this picture in a phone or, or on a laptop, uh, you could predict a panel of, of various diseases. Uh, so in the same way that serum bilirubin is sort of measured as blood biomarker for liver function abnormality, mm -hmm. uh, something like the speaking rate uh, could diagnose something like bipolar disorder, uh, or in the case of my brother in psychosis, something called the Brunette's Index. Uh, if it's disordered in the text, uh, it's it's often indicative of that feature. So we're starting there, and then in the future, we're building uh, formal diagnostics through FDA uh, in a similar way that that uh, other diagnostics are approved. But we're starting very very simply there. Wow. And uh, and over the years, um, we've kind of grown the team. Uh, we, that was about two years ago. We, we found that the biggest problem is just building data sets. And these data sets are small uh, academic centers. And uh, there's a lot of complexity in, in voice data as opposed to, say, heart data or other data with, with accents, as the community knows, accents, ages, genders, ethnicities, dialects, smoking histories, et cetera, that, that can um, overfit models. So We've really worked hard to overcome these issues and launch some of the largest research initiatives in the world, uh, focused on labeling health information with with voices. So that's a little context. Hopefully, that gives more to the community. I, I thought it's better to tell the story and and uh, and kind of go from there. Absolutely, that's really really incredible stuff. This is fascinating. Um, the whole idea of vocal biomarkers uh, is just fascinating to me. So tell us a little bit more about um, you know from the basic level like. What does it mean to collect your voice samples and how is this 
how is this used? Can you kind of give us the layman's term about how that works? Sure, sure. So uh, we, we envision this an in-clinic procedure initially. Um, we think there's a lot of issues taking samples at home, um, particularly with people like speaking away from microphones and using the device not as intended or, or differently than you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea would be you go to the doctor, um, they, they'd uh, screen out a lot of other things. So uh, they'd probably rule out like, uh, you know, liver function issues or, or other issues with other tests. And, and then the idea would be they would uh, then kind of uh, refer you to, to kind of give a voice sample in a separate room, sort of like the way a blood sample is drawn, uh, guided by a nurse uh, or another healthcare professional um, to prompt a voice file and, and just give some instructions. Um, usually it's, it's a short test. Uh, you have uh, a laptop or, or a phone, um, and there's a series of, of tests, sort of like a survey experience, but with voice. Hmm. So you speak your responses to to a survey. Um, there's often like an image, for example, that you can describe, and the task is describe this picture. Um, or another common task is just describe your, your day from start to finish hmm. from, from that day. So very, okay. very open-ended tasks. Um, for, for some uh, diseases as well, it's, it's important to uh, have alternative tasks, like in Parkinson's disease, the power matters. Um, and so we, we actually have uh, some tasks like, like saying ah out loud because um, that, that, that's more – there's a lot of uh, work in that area just with, with power okay. analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a few other tasks that we've innovated over the years, uh, the baseline Alzheimer's patients, such as counting back from, from – uh, 300 to 285 or, or just some count back task mm-hmm. for working memory. So so the idea is you, you kind of do a panel of these audio uh, voice responses um, and it's sent uh, to, to the cloud or, or locally uh, in, in the clinic uh, in case of HIPAA compl- compliance. It's often good to have on-premise installations. Sure. Um, and then you, then you can get a report back just like you would a blood test, and the provider uh, can use that information to infer health of the patient. Um, so, so uh, that's where we're starting, and I think over time, I think we'll, we'll we'll find more robust models that then can be used uh, more more in at home environments. But we think it's better to have control initially uh, in the clinic so that things are consistent, the operation mode's the same, and um, and ultimately, it's empowering physicians, right? I think we, we don't want to um, replace any physicians. I think this is just another tool in the toolkit uh, for, for uh, others to use, um, including psychiatrists in the case of inpatient hospitalizations or, or other things to assess severity of symptoms and chronic care management. Huh, that's really, really fascinating. I, got a, I have a couple of follow-up questions on that. So if someone goes in to do this to give the voice, like how long does that take? What sort of uh, like time commitment is there for the healthcare provider that's guiding them through this? It's it's less than uh, less than three minutes, three to five minutes. It's, oh, wow. it's it's faster than any other procedure. Yeah. And and one thing one thing that's remarkable to me uh, when I started this company with with our team um, is that uh, I asked uh, Guillermo, uh, um, you know what what's the ideal length for a voice sample? And he's like, well, I've I've done research for twenty years, and um, the the ideal length is uh, something between twenty twenty seconds. Um, and, and if you get a, you know, uh, I guess two minutes or three minutes or an hour of audio, it makes no, nif- no really no difference to the model accuracy. Oh wow! Uh, which is remarkable um, when you think about it. Huh. So, 
so that's the idea is you, you just have a very simple uh, task, a very time constrained, uh, time limited, and, uh, and, and you just output uh, models um, if in the case of building a diagnostic later, but initially just features. So, um, so that, that to me is just remarkable. And, and things like the brunettes index or, or um, the part of speech tags or, or the pause length uh, are very, very correlated with, with cognitive symptoms um, that often are missed. And, uh, in the, 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 and I guess in the clinician context, things like dysarthria are, are often um, hard to detect. Huh. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's something that I think when you start thinking of it like kind of like a, a blood test or another marker, um, it can really add add to helping um, diagnosing and 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 I I'm a huge fan of pushing it in primary care. I know that's pretty far away from reality, but um, I just know that's where patients are going for 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 seeking treatment. So I really think it needs to be there. I, I'm a huge believer of that, but we're very careful not to overdiagnose patients or make too bold of claims. Right now, we're, we're this is a long journey. We we have other routes for revenue initially, um, but ultimately, I think this is an area that. Uh, we think can be embedded in primary care, you know, five years down the line with new codes and issue, um, yeah. issue codes and everything. Wow. It sounds, it sounds incredible. It sounds incredible. So that's sort of how the person would, um, interact with it from the, from the patient's perspective. And so what's sort of going on on the back end? If there's any way that you can sort of explain that again, in sort of layman's terms, because you said like a lot of these questions are open-ended. So there's gotta be, that's gotta be a difficult task to take all of this audio data and model this like how can, can you explain how how that is done yeah yeah so i i uh when i first got into this field that the i i was new to, to audio featureization modeling uh, voice analysis techniques a lot of this research has been hidden for years within nuance and google research and a lot of the tech companies hmm. and um i actually found it was quite difficult to uh to learn um just just on your own and, and i actually as a CEO, I actually learned to code. I, I uh, actually recently wrote a book in Python um, called Introduction to Voice Computing in Python um, to really open source a lot of this work so people can learn how to, how to code and, and model this data. We build a lot of new feature embeddings. Um, a lot of the audio embeddings are typically things like uh, MFCC coefficients, which have been used traditionally uh, in the speech recognition field for, for identifying phonemes for ASR models, uh, automatic speech recognition models. Okay. So we've taken a lot of these techniques and applied them to voice labels. And um, we're using a lot of, uh, for small data sets, 35 to 100 patients, usually small studies. Uh, we typically use old school techniques like support vector machine modeling or um, logistic regression or, or whatnot. Um, we look at it either as a classification task. Is it a diseased person or 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 not, or within uh-huh. a scale, like the PHQ-9 is a scale for, sure. for depression. Yeah. Um, so so we, can, we can look at it as a binary problem, or we can look at it as a regression problem and actually estimate the scale itself question by question from a voice file, which is pretty cool. Wow. So um, we, we, we've really uh, honed in, um, and really, I, I think, probably built the world's largest uh, laboratory focused in this. Um, our, our chief medical officer, Reza Hosini-Gomi, uh, is at the University of Washington. We have about 20 research assistants just actively publishing uh, on this work. Um, we just got a paper in IEEE and Parkinson's diagnosis, for example. And I think uh, it's it's. I look at this space kind of like this, where the human genome was, you know, back when it hmm. started. I, I think we need a voice genome project 
to make it such that we know uh, all the features in the voice that matter, kind of like, I guess, all the, the genetic code uh, that mattered on the human genome project took off right and i think we're on that journey and really learning every day uh, new features new traits that are correlated with voice features uh, and text features um we transcribe the audio as well going back to your question and we extract features from the text um and, and we have something called mixed features as well um like uh correlating text features uh with audio features um and so so every day we're, we're, we're learning i think um uh, we're engineering new features for diseases, as we know, clinical mechanisms, uh, and, and we know what to look for. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, I can go deeper on any of the features. I mean, I've been there. I mean, it's, uh, it's something we work every day in, in building new features. Word of embeddings for diseases, uh, schizophrenia, for example, is a good example of that would be, it'd be really cool to have a million patients across the world at some point, you know, in the far future, that have schizophrenia labeled versus controls and, and build word of text embeddings uh, wow. kind of like the way we, we use now for a lot of the techniques for document classification. And, and wow. it just, we just haven't had the data sets, you know, and that's, that's where we're really focused going in the new year. Um, and, uh, really starting, uh, we're kind of going to launch a, a voice genome project soon, uh, very similar to other projects to, to do this work at a larger level that sounds amazing amazing so is that would you say that's the biggest challenge right now is is coming up with enough data and getting enough samples to to move this uh forward as quickly as you'd like to yeah 100 percent. and i can tell you um healthcare is a risk averse field um, we've talked to optum we've talked to uh, blue cross blue shield um i was just on the phone yesterday and obviously health plans are never going to take risks but uh you know, I think it's it's always uh, it's always hard. You know, I think where the patients are on health plans, right? And uh, healthcare plans often don't uh, want to take any liability, and and so uh, overnight we could cur- curate these data sets, and it's mm-hmm. frustrating because you know that 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 patients are on health plans. A lot of them would opt in if they knew how they consent to this well to give a voice sample for their health information and maybe be incented through like a Starbucks skip card or. Or something, you know, they they can contribute. I've thought about even revenue share models for our company. Like, if you contribute a voice file on an MRI image, for example, you could get like a, uh, uh, a capitated data royalty if it's quality data uh, upon a, a commercialized model that we build and put through FDA, so that you actually are incented. Um, and oh, it's wow. just it's just hard. It's just really hard. I think it's um, just incenting patients. The privacy implications of this field are very uh, unclear from a regulatory perspective. Sure. State by state recording laws are, are odd. Like in Boston, it, it's a one-way uh, recording state uh, on phones, and, and in Georgia, it's a two—I uh, guess—or two-two-way recording state in Boston, and then in Georgia, it's a one-way hmm. recording state. So you only need one person's consent to record a phone call in Georgia versus two in, in Boston. So. A lot of these things, COPA laws, um, they're all they're all com- complex, and I think even Apple um, and and Google and, and Amazon um, are figuring out what the landscape will be with GDPR provisioning and whatnot, and uh, and also like the ethics of it. You know, like you know what is ethical and what is not. Sure. Um, you know, how do you label data on a server? I think we're very clear in our terms of use how we model data and and how we plan to use data and. Uh, 
we don't want to be in a situation um, like other companies where, where, where we're selling data like like without uh, users knowing how we're using data or even how we're manipulating their data. Like if we you give a voice sample on our server and we're labeling it with age, gender, ethnicity, and a lot of health traits, well, the user should know is our is our policies. And I think a lot of the a lot of the larger tech companies, it's very unclear how they manipulate data. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a larger problem and and just regulation going forward and across many data types and tech companies. I think this is a increasing problem that I think um, we're going to start seeing um, regulation around that we're kind of, I guess, innovating our terms of use and whatnot. But there are a lot of issues. So I think all these issues create complexity in curating data, getting data sets, um, you know, and uh, and we're at the forefront. So I think you're always you're always have to self-police and be ethical when when you're at the edge of something and, and we're very careful not to overstep our, our boundaries. It's great. I, I think I think that's great. I think it's great that you're you're really looking at these different issues and not sort of, you know, blasting full steam ahead without taking into account these things because you're right, there's a lot that's unknown in this space right now. And I think that I mean that shows a lot of responsibility, I think, from the company to to be looking at these things uh outright and and uh initially before you kinda you know, get too far deep into it. So, so hey, I think that's a great that's a great approach. I'm curious, like, how are you with these challenges that you just described? Like, how are you actually collecting the voice samples? Where do the, where do those voice samples come from right now? Are they just sort of one off patients that that you know that give permission for you to collect it, or how does that work? We get up from a lot of areas. So, um, uh, one is through academic collaborations. So, we have collaborations at the University of Washington where we have actually a lot of undergrads going into clinics and collecting data from patients as a part of IRBs within UW across 13 indications. And they go in the clinics and often the provider or, or, or the physician um, often says, hey, like, are you interested in consenting to a study? And, and, and then the undergrad kind of works with kind of like I was, I was saying before, uh, like having a guided session. Right. The undergrad kind of works with the the patient who consents to give a voice file in, in, in the format that we've discussed. So that's one way. The other way, uh, and that's been scaled uh, across other universities and systems, and we're doing larger studies at Emory and, and, and other institutions. Um, uh, so that's one way. The other way is we, we've created this, this product called Surveylex, um, where you can create, design, and deploy a voice survey in the cloud like a SurveyMonkey survey. And so we've uh, actually uh, are really, I think, uh, even at the forefront of audio signal processing and, and even voice survey creation. Um, I think it's really, really hard to know how to deploy an Alexa skill, for example, or, or a, a Google Assistant skill without being a developer. And um, even I struggle now, and I'm, I think I'm pretty proficient Python developer because a lot of it is optimized for JavaScript. And I feel like this creates a lot of issues with with uh, with say the average Joe wanting to do a voice survey and, and a coffee shop or whatnot. But we really optimized it initially for uh, research use in this area. And that makes it so we can create uh, N number of surveys across any place and get a lot of data quickly and partner with pharma companies and contracts through Saskat subscriptions or, or with uh, uh, even uh, you know, uh, in the health plans or whatnot to create large data sets and they pay us as a subscription to curate them and, and really work with them. Um, a lot of the pharma companies are looking for new diagnostic markers for sure. depression, for example, and they really like the idea of blind data uh, extraction across many entities to create the most robust model. So um, that's an area where they're, they're willing to do a SaaS subscription through this product, collect data sets with us. Um, and then at a larger scale, we've, we've done um, 
nonprofit collaborations and community and the voice genome projects one that we're, we're coming up and, and we're going to be just launching it and, and really partnering with as many entities out there that really have reach. Uh, we've, we've worked with mental health America in the past, for example, um, they do 1 million depression surveys on their website each year. Um, and, and so opting in through their website with like a little form, that's, that's pretty cool to get traffic and, and get a, a PHQ nine score labeled with a voice file. Wow. Um, so, so we're doing stuff like that. Um, and, and our hope is that at some point we can kind of create the most comprehensive data set in the world, uh, of health information with voices. Um, and that spans, spans way beyond your surveys. Uh, we think there's things like brain images where, where you can measure things like locus aurelius size or actual sizes of parts of the brain uh, from from a voice file directly. Uh, none of this work has really been done. So so we're looking at MRI images, physical information of the brain. Um, we're also going to look hopefully soon at chemical information like serum cortisol levels um, and, and and voice samples. So. You can imagine having a real-time endocrinology uh, estimate of, of somebody's cortisol levels or, or even hormone levels from a voice. That would be really cool. That would be so clinically useful if we found a way that, that to, to build it robust and accurately. Um, That's so amazing. I just think there's things like that the medical system has never seen before. There's really no way to pay for it. <laughs> you know, there's no way to, to get it done. But uh, there has to be some implication long-term where, where this, this sort of thing can – um, can affect patients and improve outcomes. And really, and my goal is really, I think, as a CEO of this company at some point, to see this work, uh, diagnose patients earlier in the disease pathophysiology process so they don't go down the route um, of, of having an acute event like a hospitalization, in the case of my brother. Right. You know, if you're, if you're headed towards the direction of psychosis, get early intervention and perhaps even be preventative and, and, and really save tons of money for the health system. People are healthier um, they're not living with huge chronic diseases. There's a huge burden. We're kind of falling in line with a lot of other digital health companies, but I think this is just a very new innovative way to look at it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Wow. That is really, really exciting. Um, I, I you know, the, the whole idea of the voice genome project is fascinating to me. Um, can you just speak a little bit more about what, what does that mean? Or what, if people want to get involved with that, like what, what is, what is the voice, the voice genome project that you're going to be launching? Yeah, so we've been planning this for not not that long, but it's something that um, uh, just last week my my chief medical officer and I have kind of come together and, and thought, how do we engage external collaborators and entities in a more uh, comprehensive way and also like really centralize this work? I think it's really scattered. Um, there's work at Harvard, there's work at MIT, there's work at Stanford, there's work at UCSF. They're all separate, and and so um, and so I think that uh, I guess. We're, we're, we're trying to create uh, one, um, a, a, a survey using our, our core products, our SurveyLex. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be done in January 1st. So we're kind of launching it January 1st. And we have like a lot of uh, surveys that we're going to do. It. The first step is just getting a lot of survey information tied to voice information. So a lot of self-reported health inventories and things like that labeled with voice files. Um, so that's something that I feel like you can kind of contribute in two ways. I think that if you want to donate your voice um, uh, and, and be part of the research study and consent process, um, we'll, we'll have, a, I guess, the website up in January 1st. Just reach out to me on my email, and I'm happy to get you on a, a list early, um, which I guess we can share after this. So then the other one is um, if you want to partner as a, 
uh, a research collaborator if you want to analyze this data in some way beyond us like we're very collaborative in our lab and co-publish with a lot of entities um, if you want to uh, help channel uh, distribute this link to others to help get more uh, participants like nami new york city recently did this with us for example um, i think this could be an area where, where you can collaborate in a research way um, either as a channel uh, to distribute on a, on a mailing list that, that's often a great one uh, or as a researcher to co-publish with us um, whatever the goal is i think that's we kind of look at it as like a researcher or, or a participant um, in the clinical study um, and and at the end of the study we'll kind of publish the results um we'll publish all the contributors um i think that's a really awesome thing to do and, and really just have um hopefully uh, a very similar data set as i say 23andme has for genetic information and, and health traits uh we'll have a very similar data set for voice and um and my goal i think ultimately is not necessarily to keep this all in our company um i really want to get this work out there i think this is a new uh space i think it needs to be open sourced and I think it needs to be done ethically. So I think we're very open to, to third parties. We'd love to see more people in this space kind of find utility and as well as commercialize this work. So um, I think that's that's sort of our core, 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 core mission and core focus, at least initially. We need to show that this, this space is credible and, and that uh, people believe the claims we make. And also we need to publish a lot and really show uh, peer-reviewed publications that, that, that our work is – uh, is robust and and and, um, and have large scale population health studies. Cool! Wow, that is that is incredible. I love this idea so much. Um, we'll have to chat more about this afterwards. But um, no, I think that's I think that's great. The, the The question I'd like to sort of finish off with is being this the Voice First Health um, podcast. What does what does Voice First Health mean to you when you hear that phrase? Um, it's it's uh, I think to me. Um, it means it means something differently for probably than, than a lot of others. Um, but for me, it's really looking within the voice and using uh, that information um, to improve healthcare through our work. That's that's what it usually means to me. Is like, hey, like I'm hearing somebody's voice, yeah. and I'm using that as a way to to guide care. It, it's my knee jerk reaction. But I think for a lot of others, I find that they often associate voice first with Alexa because Amazon sponsors every single conference out there <laughs> at the right. diamond level. And Amazon is trying to, I guess, uh, put that that image in everybody's mind to associate voice first with with their products. Right. So um, so I, I think if there's one thing I'd like to throw out there is that I think voice computing is much larger than the, these at home devices. It's it's a field that spans way more than just a, a hardware device. Um, and I think voice assistants are just scratching the service, surface of the potential of deep learning applied to voice data. And, and I think we'll, we'll see some of the work like our work or other, even I think other work out there. I'm sure there'll be a lot of other amazing work out there in, in healthcare with voice outside of us that, that really show that, that voice first means a lot, something much more comprehensive than just a voice assistant. It means any voice data applied to to improve the health system in some way like as a vague definition in my view <laughs> yeah no that makes a lot of sense to me per, absolutely 100 percent agree um obviously these big companies have done an excellent job of marketing what they're what they're producing but um when you hear when you hear you speak about these kinds of ideas and and um and what it can do for diagnostics and um you know who knows where we're going to go whether it's 
you know, whether there's going to be pathognomonic voice signals that, you know, somebody says something um, and the doctor knows, like, this is the condition from, it's almost like voice potentially could become a, a vital sign, a voice vital sign, which is, which is remarkable. Totally. So. And I mean, I, I think even like your sleep quality, you know, and, and I think we, we get polysomography tests. Um, it's three to $5,000 tests in clinic to, to diagnose somebody's sleep disorder. Well, if you just could give a voice sample every morning at 9 a.m., uh, same time every day, testosterone concentrations are, are maxed in the morning. So the fundamental frequency, for example, if, if measured over day over day is very more variable. Just from like a high level, you could think, oh, well, it, a more variable fundamental frequency in the morning probably relates to sleep quality issues. And you probably should go to the, the sleep doctor instead of relying on really vague inventories like like the Epworth sleep scale that are, are useless. And, and actually, I've heard sleep doctors tell me that they're not random number generators that they use to get paid through the health system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is where we're at in healthcare, And I feel like there's so much we can do to incrementally improve it. Obviously, these are exponential changes, but I feel like um, there's increments, and I think the increments are in research for us, and I think that's where we got to focus. Absolutely. Well, hey, well, well said, and uh, thanks so much, Jim, for for coming on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. This is an absolutely fascinating discussion, and I'm really, really excited to see uh, where this goes over the next, you know, year or two. Even uh, I'm sure that things are going to evolve rapidly. Um, where can listeners go to find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. You can, you can check out our website, uh, neurolex.ai. Uh, um, uh, on our website, we, we've really focused more on generally in voice computing. Um, but uh, there's also a lot of, uh, I guess, links on the website front page that, that show videos uh, of our work that, that we've pitched at in the past. That's, for example, at Betaworks Demo Day and others. So feel free to check out any of those links. I'm hoping to post this one on there, so hopefully <laughs> add it on. Um, and then, uh, and then I guess uh, if uh, if you want to reach out to me, uh, you can reach to me at my email. Uh, my, my email is js at neurolex n e u r o l e x dot c o. It's a different domain, so okay. log that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, just just send me an email. I'm always accessible. I'm always trying to evangelize this space. And if you just feel like you can contribute in some way, just reach out. Um, I think. I think we all can do more. You know, I, I think there's all there's something anyone can do to contribute to, to this movement. And really, I think it's a movement um, to really just kind of get this philosophy at least embedded, uh, at least in research, uh, so we can prove that what we're doing is is can really make the changes that we think they can change. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, exactly. thanks so much for the Terry and the, con- I really love the community here and and um, really appreciate you, you giving us this opportunity to be on the show. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. And, uh, you know, it sounds like you're doing some incredible work and, uh, and I look forward to staying in touch with you, uh, personally and also hopefully through the show and we can kind of update how things are going uh, with this, with, uh, with your great work. So thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Take care guys. So what do you think? I am blown away by what, uh, Jim and his team are doing there at Neuralex. This, the idea, as I said, the idea of a voice genome project is just mind blowing to me. This is amazing could you imagine really could you imagine if this pans out the way we hope it will where people can simply speak to a microphone and you get all types of diagnostic information from that it's non-invasive it's quick it's efficient it's it's basically what we're looking for in a in the ideal diagnostic study it's just remarkable so 
Um, good luck to you, Jim. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. I am really excited to continue to stay in touch with you and to update the community because this is really, really a cutting edge work that you are doing. To you, the listener, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I continue to try to bring you some really, really uh, interesting and bright minds in this field of voice-first technology and, of course, the intersection with healthcare. And if you have enjoyed this and you are finding value in the podcast, please feel free to leave a review for this podcast, an honest review on any of the major podcast players. And feel free to share this. If you have enjoyed it and think of somebody that might find this interesting, then sharing it is, of course, um, a, a biggest compliment to me. Feel free to reach out to myself through Twitter. Uh, I'm always happy to hear your feedback on the shows, and we can have further discussion about the show on Twitter. And again, my handle on Twitter is Dr. Terry Fisher, D-R-T-E-R-I-F-I-S-H-E-R. The show notes for today are at voicefirsthealth.com slash 20, and everything will be there with easy access to Jim, Neuralex, and his team. Thanks again, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Take care. <laughs>